Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I'm very aware that when you um, uncover a stone that people don't want to uncover for whatever reason, they're usually going to want to put the stone back just because it gives you another reflection that you have to look at. I'd like to think that I'm questioning programs that have been passed down for a long time, as are other painters, other musicians, other writers. A lot of times it does come from the arts, where people are questioning that which they were told was gospel. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Sister Named Desire, a b-side from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. Hi, David. Hi, Eve. Is it weird that we keep greeting each other every episode, even though we've been on this retreat in a small space for three months? I don't think it's weird. It's polite. I don't know. I'm not assuming that everyone is listening in chronological order. What if they are like jumping in with Sister Named Desire and they're like, God, these guys don't even greet each other. It's really weird. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm. That's how I approach it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just following your lead. Thank so. you. And consistency, you know. Mm-hmm, Hi, right. David. <laughs> How's the retreat going for you? Oh my gosh, I can't get enough of it. Do you feel rested? I feel exhausted. (laughs) You do? This has been the hardest retreat I've ever been on. I think we had different objectives coming into this. I think we did. (laughs) Like, I was all work-focused. Like, oh, a work retreat. Okay, we're going to get this, this, and this done. And you're like, hand me the peanut M&Ms. I work hard and I play hard. (laughs) You do play hard. Right. I mean, you've got a giant jug of Bloody Mary mix. Uh, Well. Very exciting. When in Rome. I don't know know what that means. I don't know what that means. (laughs) When talking about desire, you get desireful. Yeah. Hello, everyone. This is the Sister Named Desire episode. It's going to be a hard episode for us to do. There's very little information known on this song. So we're going to keep it loose today. And we have a lot of special things for the people that we'll reveal in a little while. Thank you for keeping everyone's expectations low, I guess. Yeah. Today, we'll say the words Sister Named Desire at some point. Don't expect to be good. Yeah. (laughs) I'm assuming you're going to be terrible. And if you you. happen to dazzle me, great. Come up with something amazing. (laughs) Um, no, we do have a ton of guests on the episode today, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But how have you been? I'm looking forward to this. Yes. I think we're going to, I consider this, you know, an obscure song. Absolutely. So we'll dig into it and see where we go. The obscurest almost, right? From I, this era, for yeah, sure. I am desirous of it. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone is desirous of the song, mm. of any knowledge of the song, that's for sure. Um, if you're listening to this episode, we consider you a true super fan <laughs> of... Tori Amos. Congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) This is definitely a deep, deep cut. The deepest cut, in my opinion, from the Boys for Pele era. And it's interesting as we 
work our way through the B-sides, getting close to the end, we're almost at the end, that we land on a song that there is no information really about. You know, we're working our way right now through the Tallulah single. So we've just did Frog on My Toe. The next one will be Alamo. Both of those songs have information about them. This one just kind of exists in like this no man's land. Never really been performed. And fascinating that knowing that she had sucker and a couple other things in her pocket that she chose to release this and then never really acknowledge it again so it Mm -hmm. obviously meant enough to her at some point Mm -hmm. to slap it on that single slap it slap it sister let's talk about that because an interesting thing that i kind of noticed is that on the caudalite sneeze singles you know the uk us all the singles there were the silly songs right you had hungarian wedding song toodles mr jim the short songs silly songs Mm -hmm. but on this Tallulah single uk release you have three songs they're they're longer they're fleshed out but they're all kind of just tori in the piano Mm -hmm. you've got frog on my toe sister named desire alamo and I think they complement each other. I think it would be weird, although I would have loved to have heard a sucker or walked to Dublin. I think it might have felt weird to put that on this single, sadly. Agreed. But what about Motormaids? That too. Yeah. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. Uh, <laughs> I think that we got Motormaids when we should have, because my opinion about Motormaids is that she was going to change it or work it up and complete it somehow. But by the time we got it, she'd forgotten about it and then remembered it. And it just, she gave it to us how it was at that time. I don't think she would have at that time given it to us that same way. I don't know. This is not the Motormaids episode, but I don't know what more she would have possibly done to it. And she felt comfortable again giving us these handful of songs without going back in or adding production. And out of the three, meaning Frog on My Toe, Alamo, and Sister Named Desire, I feel like Sister Named Desire is the most improvised. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, maybe mm-hmm. that's not true, but... We'll discuss that too. Okay. I feel like there is a little production and we'll talk about the remasters. So it's just an interesting song to dive into because there's very little known about the song. It's interesting. Let's dive in. Let's do it. You want to say hi to our Patreon supporters? We have more. We have more. We have new. Uh, we have sisters. <laughs> we have sisters. Justin Segusa, he jumped up to a higher level. Hi, Justin. Thank you. Segusa. Say it. Lindsay Nielsen, welcome to the family. No relation to Leslie. We don't know that. Nicole Green jumped up to a higher level. Hi, Nicole. Gorgeous. And Kelsey Hasty, who subscribed to our Patreon and then immediately jumped up to a higher level and then immediately jumped up to another higher level. Oh, hello, Kelsey. Let's not be hasty, Kelsey. You sure you want to commit to this? (laughs) You can take some time to think about it. We also have a new Patreon supporter named Sandy Cop. Hi, Sandy. Call the cops. You're under arrest on suspicion of being awesome. (laughs) David, gold. He comes in with so many one-liners. He just writes them on the spot, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that being said, thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And thank you to everyone who supports us just by listening to the show and writing a review on iTunes. They really, really help. Should we talk about our guests yes, then? Yes. Okay. Well, first, I would like to say thank you to our head researcher, Shay Stymack. Thank you, Shay. Hi. Hi, Shay. Thank you, Shay. But she did not research this episode because we are we have a team here in the studio researching the, I mean, not the studio, the retreat location, the undisclosed retreat location. We have a team researching 
this episode live in the moment. We've brought in subject matter experts. It's a think tank. Our in-house guests, she wanted to be on the Alamo episode, and we said maybe. We had to audition her first. So here she is on Sister Named Desire episode. Say hello, Saker. Hello, Saker. We paid so much money to fly her in from Sacramento to bring us snacks. I'm wondering when I'm getting reimbursed for this flight because I spent $60 on Southwest to get here from Sacramento. No banter, no time. (laughs) Anyway, Sister Named Desire, huh, everybody? (laughs) We also in-house have another special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself to the Tori Amos community? Uh, Yeah, I'm Dor Dotson. How are you? Great. What are you doing here? God, I've been asking myself that all day long. (laughs) I've been asking myself that for 25 years. Have you been on the show, Dora? When's the last time we saw you? Um, excuse me. I was the first guest you ever had on your show. Thank you. She's who we refer to as China Faith. Dora Dotson, our China Faith. I don't know why I don't remember that. It's like I wasn't even there. We have so many guests lined up for this show. We're going to be talking to Jules, Julie Suzanne Chapel. She's a super fan of Sister Named Desire. We're gonna be talking to Jessica Levy, who's a super fan of Sister Named Desire. And though she did not research the episode, in a little while, we're gonna have a little interview with Shay Stymack, Hmm. because she loves this song too. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? She didn't research it, but she thought about it. And we're gonna be talking to Stefan Svensson. Aren't we also talking to the president? Yes, we will be talking to the president, David. (laughs) Matt Presidente. Oh. Friend, musician, bootleg recorder. Commander in Desire. We'll hear his story later. Matthew Presidente. The only Presidente I want. He's my Presidente. We have possibly a recording of the only time she's ever performed it live during soundcheck coming your way also. It was very CSI, Sister Named Desire here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) If you've never seen Door Research, it's a sight to behold. It's something to see. She works up quite a head of steam. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers are flying across the keyboard. Fire. They're on fire. No, it's one of those things where if you have the t- the degree and the of Tory knowledge that we have, you gotta use it where it can come in handy. What am I gonna like? There's no other place or way that I can. So this this is not helpful in any other scenario. Right. It also is a matter of like usually my role or my experience on a podcast like this could be to talk through the my experience seeing it live x amount of times because i've seen so many shows but i i I got nothing we all got we got nothing we all got nothing (laughs) how do you feel about sister named desire saker since we flew you out for this episode who flew who out since you flew you out for this episode i do like when she says cry a little tear i like that lyric that sounds nice. We like that part where Tori says words. I yeah. think we can all agree that if we had to pick a favorite moment. I also like when Tori plays piano. You mean in general? In or general, on this yes, song? Okay. Yes, in general. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's less loud. Sometimes there are high notes. Sometimes there's low notes. Mm. I enjoy both ends of that. That's the magic of the Busendorfer. <laughs> we can have it all. We can have it all high and low. It's actually a whole extra octave of low. And high, right? I think it's just one extra low. Oh, well, call me when it's one extra high. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Neil Gaiman connection that we'll talk about. Maybe we'll get Lauren Eshwe on. I mean, why not? Let's get the guest list up to what, 20? For Sister Named Desire. <laughs> yeah. Let's get started, shall we? Do it. There are no covers of Sister Named Desire. No one's ever covered it. Get on it. I know. So, well, ex- with the exception of Yanta, which we'll play later. So, we've decided this episode, we're just going to do a desire theme in our music. We're just going to, you know, play songs about desire. And my favorite song about Desire is Desire by En Vogue from their album, Funky Divas. It's the name of my album, too. Hey. 
Today in the show, I'm going to answer the question, just who are the endless? So the endless, the concepts of destruction, despair, delirium, desire, death, destiny, and dream. In terms of the endless publication history, it's relatively simple. Destiny was created by Marv Wolfman. He is the oldest of the endless in terms of DC Comics continuity, as well as DC Comics publication. And then the rest of the endless were made by Neil Gaiman in the Sandman series, and a few of them have appeared outside of the title, like in JSA or in Blackest Night, but not very often. So the Endless oversee that which they are. Like Death oversees Death, she brings souls into the next realm of existence, but also brings life, and Dream brings inspiration, imagination, and of course, dreams while people are asleep. The only thing in common with all of these realms is that in these realms there is a gallery that has all the other Endless sigils in it, and the Endless can utilize these sigils to call upon the other Endless. The younger Endless, which are destruction, despair, delirium, and desire, sometimes just don't do their job. For example, destruction quit his job. Like, he just quit. Now, it's also worth saying that the Endless don't just define their own concept, they also work for the opposite side of that concept as well. Like, death doesn't bring just death, she also brings life. Dream doesn't bring just inspiration, he can also shape reality. The one of these that I find the most interesting is actually from Delirium, because everyone has a hard time understanding Delirium, but she has this logic that only she understands. So it could be that she is the most intelligent being in the universe, just no one else is smart enough to understand her. Then finally, where do the Endless come from? They predate humanity and also work with alien civilizations, they're not just a thing for Earth. As much as we know what happens with the Endless in the Sandman comics, we don't know much about them pre-Sandman comics, and I kind of feel like that's their charm. We really don't know much about them at all, and that's why I love them so much. Well, that was a little bit from It's So Effective's YouTube channel, and here to talk a little bit more in depth, specifically about desire, is our Neil Gaiman correspondent, Lauren Eshwee. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Eve. How's it going? It's been forever. Thank God you're still loving Neil Gaiman, right? <laughs> I am. And I would very much encourage everyone to watch Good Omens on Amazon Prime. It was so good. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, Tori has a new song. How exciting. Yes, I heard it. She did a great job with the traditional English song I've never heard before. I know, right? So, <laughs> good for her. But good for her. And Good Omens for us. More exciting than her having a song, though, was actually that Neil slipped in a lyric into, like, the very last episode. A character said, I believe in peace, bitch. And I oh was like, God. there you go. Here it is. <laughs> Yes. I was so happy. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, tell us everything you know about Desire. We just learned about all of the Endless, but It's So Effective didn't really talk about Desire. What do you know? It did not at all talk about Desire. I was a little sad. So, really quick, I know he just went over, but there's seven of them, okay? And there's uh, Destiny, Death, Dream, Destruction, Despair and Desire, and Delirium. And the younger three are very interesting, and that's who's really being featured in this song. So, Desire and Despair are twins and desire is this androgynous thing she is she he it they is desire i always say she because she always looks very feminine to me in the comics but it's definitely an androgynous like almost like david bowie 
kind of figure. Like, you know, mm. desire takes on the form of whatever it wants to at that time. And desire is very capricious and flaky, possibly, and also um, kind of vindictive. They really like to mess with their siblings, especially Dream. <laughs> like, that's a huge through line in the comics of Desire throwing curveballs at him and in attempts to really screw him up. Like, and spoiler alert, but these books have been out for 20 years, so I don't feel that bad. At one point, Desire actually, this is kind of messed up, but it's true. Desire, as a man, sexually assaults someone who then gets pregnant with a child and then dream not knowing this. And through a bunch of things that happen that are way too complicated to go into, ends up trying to kill that child, which is a huge, like, killing your own blood is something that would get him, in turn, killed by the rules of the world that they inhabit. So, Desire is kind of a bitch. <laughs> like, wow, that's heavy. Yeah. She, I know. It's it's seriously good stuff. I mean, I gotta be honest, Sandman comics are what really brought me to comic books and my love of comics that I have now. Mm-hmm. So, there's some really good storytelling in here. But to how this relates to the song, the song is definitely Delirium's point of view, which makes sense because Neil and Tori have both mentioned many times that Delirium is inspired by Tori to a certain degree. Like, the character already existed, and then Neil and Tori met, and Neil was like, oh my god, you're basically a walking character. Right. <laughs> I'm just gonna use a bunch of your stuff. And she was like, likewise! And then this song happened. <laughs> so, what I like about this song is, now, Delirium is complicated. She used to be Delight, And no one is really sure what happened to her that turned her into delirium. She won't tell anyone. It's something that's interesting about her. Like, she never makes sense. You know I love me some tea. I'm on a Tori Amos podcast right now. Mm -hmm. But Tori doesn't always make total sense. You have to work for her. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times I'm like, (laughs) you really really got to work for it to understand it. And I appreciate and respect that. And delirium is very much the same. That's why I like the lyrics of this are just kind of all over the place. Like... What are you talking about, girl? I don't even know. Then there's parts of like that are just weirdly evocative. Like mm-hmm. that bit with like teaching about them old world, Big Brother Man. I assume that she's talking about Destiny or possibly Dream because their you know, Destiny has this book that he just re- he's an observer and he's just reading everything that happens in the universe. So I'm thinking maybe that's in relation to him, or maybe it's about Dream because Dream has been the inspiration for so many things like in human history so it's vague but you get a sense of what she's talking about you know what i mean yes and delirium is also like possibly i think he mentioned this in that it's so effective the thing that was just on Mm -hmm. he mentioned something about how delirium might actually be the most intelligent being in the universe and i've always found that to just be really interesting to play with that like you know she's not understandable because nobody's on her level yeah exactly like, well, not, she's fun. not kooky yeah. Corey's not kooky she's just no one's on her level no. exactly yeah. you have to get up on my level and then you will understand i'm exactly. like cool and that's what i mean about i appreciate that tori makes you work for it like she does not hand you the keys to the kingdom you for have sure. to go on a quest yeah that's what delirium is like you know i love a metaphor so what Mm -hmm. i've really taken from this conversation is how one desire can sometimes destroy you and you've got to keep your desire in check and two yeah that delight turned eventually into delirium so too much of a good Mm -hmm. thing may really mess with your head or really make you you know so those are two metaphors that i really really love 
and the desire and despair are twins. Like you can't right. have one without the other. Right. I like I love that so yeah. much. It's like light and dark owning your shadow that she always talks about. You yeah. can't have one without yeah. the other. They come in Absolutely. as twins. They it's come like as a pair. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm so excited to get back to the group so that we can start to analyze these lyrics with this in mind. (laughs) Lauren, when are we going to talk to you again? Neil-wise, I guess. Hotel. Hotel. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. We'll see you on Hotel. Are you sure there's not a Neil shout-out in Blue Skies? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, blue I'm like, hold on, I access that part of my brain. Yeah, I no. Right. <laughs> we'll still, we still may need some help dissecting that one, so we may call you for that. That's, that's <laughs> fine. I'm on board. Okay, good. Okay, Lauren, have a great night. Thank you so much for the intel. Bye. Bye. Hello, Stefan. Hi. Will you introduce yourself to the world? Sure. I am Stefan. I live in Sweden and I have been a massive Tori fan since 2002 and travel around the world to see her live. (laughs) You have a sister named Desire story, is that correct? I do. Um, I requested that in Prague in 2009. And um, when I asked her about it, when I requested it, at first she looked at me like, what is that? And then she got like an aha moment and then, oh, that one. And then it was like, no, no, it's not going to happen this tour. And has it happened yet? No, it hasn't. Thank you very much. Have a good day. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Bye. We got a lot of hot tips coming in off the Sister Named Desire switchboard here. Things are lighting up. People found out we were doing this episode today and they, yes, they're lining up. They have to be heard. (sighs) Why do you suppose someone would request this song? I guess we could have asked Stefan himself, but he's gone now. I think just to be difficult. Right? (laughs) To be difficult. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves a rarity. Yeah, that's true. Do you remember that meet and greet we did in uh, like Oakland or Sacramento, 1998, 20 years ago? Jeez. Uh, David, where a bunch of us at that meet and greet decided we would just all request a different rare song and like we went i went from like person to person total strangers this is like a real dick thing to do and i was like <laughs> let's what are you gonna request request something rare and we were like we we maybe 10 of us were like all right let's all request something super rare and we'll see who can get her to do the rare song or something dumb like that if someone didn't have a rarity to request did you assign them a rarity that had not yet been claimed i don't like, no 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 so. no you're not requesting girl you're I, requesting i do feel like i at least gave them a like a little bit of a stinky face if they did say they were requesting something you request over it do you remember that david and yours nobody's got played but yours got the closest right yeah i do remember that i was gonna say that too for whatever reason i've i felt like i had a good chance like she really i asked for black swan and i feel like she wrote it down or definitely her face lit up was it on the set list oh i don't remember that apparently it made it to the set list but what did she play instead hey jupiter (laughs) um which is fine at least it wasn't leather at least it actually might have been what else did she play at that show because we talked about on the hey jupiter episode that rare times that she played it on plug she often paired it with leather hey jupiter and leather so it's possible that (laughs) it is quite possible the tory giveth and the tory taketh away and sometimes she just taketh away (laughs) and sometimes she giveth what you don't wanteth (laughs) (laughs) giveth what no one asked for (laughs) so sister named desire what is this song about david Everything, everything, and nothing, I'm right. willing to say. You want to talk about the quotes that we've found about this song? Yes. Here's a quote that we found about the song. David, will you perform it? Let me just... <laughs> Was that sexy enough? Was that sexy? Okay. Done. <laughs> if That didn't translate, obviously, but what David just did was the signature Tory move. 
grabbing the microphone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This song appears on a compilation for Neil Gaiman called "Where's Neil When He's Not." Where's Neil when you hi, need him? By the way, <laughs> where's Neil when you need him? Get him on the line. Can you hold, please? No, I no, can't, I can't hold. hold. There's a compilation of Neil songs, like songs that people put together for Neil Gaiman. This song's on it, and there's an electronic booklet where Neil talks about each of these songs that appear on this compilation, but the booklet was only available till... Sometime in 2006. Yeah, so the booklet was... The e-booklet was only available until 2006. So this was a long time ago. But let's not gloss over the lengths that we collectively go through <laughs> and have gone through to bring to bring all the content we can dig up. We had to track down, Sacred track down, a sealed copy of that CD she did. to try to get to the notes. And here is what Neil Gaiman had to say. Now keep in mind, it's the only quote ever about this song by anyone except for us. <laughs> Neil says, I've known Tori for 15 years now and she never ceases to amaze me. Most people aren't as cool as you think they are. I'm not even a little. Tori is cooler and I am the better for having her as a friend. Here she sings a song of a sister named Desire, or a brother, of course. It all depends on where you're standing. And then Patrick Rogers, the producer, goes on to say, Having been a fan for many years, I've seen Tori in concert a number of times, and the level of connection and devotion she inspires in her fans is something she and Neil have in common. They also both produce work that tends to have a strong emotional component. I can't think of a more appropriate person to sound the final notes on this project. So that's that. How do you feel about the song, David? Um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to answer that question more thoroughly after we have this discussion. I'm open. More you're, so you're than open. I've ever been before. I'm a blank slate. Today is the day that we do this. Right. Uh, we've listened to both versions, the mm-hmm. remastered. Barely distinguishable from right, one another. But significantly different on some level because of the addition of the bass. Yeah. I mean, there's technically three versions. Let's be honest. There's the original version. There's the remaster from 2006-ish. And then there's the remaster from 2017 that includes the bass. Mm-hmm. So the re- there's a remastered version without the bass. So there's mm-hmm. three versions of this song that is often forgotten. It's an often forgotten song. Yeah, that is a lot of time and energy put into a song that Tori herself barely seems to remember. Right. So. Sister Named Desire was written and... Written is generous. <laughs> I, we feel like it was written as performed. It was a one-time thing. And it appeared as a B-side from Boys for Pele, originally on the Tallulah single. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, like a lot of the Pele eras, certainly the B-sides, it sounds highly improvised Mm -hmm. and like she was just kind of spending a lot of time in that box. And if the mic happened to be on, they captured captured whatever she was up to. And and listening back to it, I was wondering if we would get some sense of if there was kind of a fade in, like Mm -hmm. there are on some of the other tracks that she was kind of Mm -hmm. in the middle of something and that's the section. But it sounds like it does just start. It's a cold. cold open, sister. It, it could be a warm-up to another song, you know? Like, okay, let's get this next song. But you know how she always starts with, like, a, like warming it up? Do we even think she had words in front of her? Or that's really just stream of consciousness? To me, it doesn't feel like... I mean, we'll never know, but yeah. it doesn't feel like she has any words. I agree. Yeah. And on that note, let's <laughs> dissect the words that came out, <laughs> shall we? Got a sister okay, so what does that mean? Anyone? Well, I guess Desire is the one tie-in to the Sandman comics, a sister named Desire. Because Tori is Delirium, and Desire is her sister, right? Yeah, that's the word on the street. (laughs) Word on the street. I feel like we're at a distinct disadvantage not being Sandman or Neil Gaiman experts because if there are any other connections to, to the comics, we're not in a position to 
pick up on them. They don't let you light those little boys yeah, remember in the 90s when they made it illegal to light little boys on fire? They just won't <laughs> let you do it anymore. People can't, can't be trusted. I, I'm at a loss on that line, honestly. On the back Okay, so now I'm starting to think light those little boys is a sexual reference. You can do it on the backhand swing, but you can't do it in their house. Maybe because the parents are there. Maybe because... I don't know why, but the swing in the back. Backhand swing? Like, is that like a back porch swing? I guess think? so. Yeah, backhand swing. But also to backhand someone is to slap them across the face, oh. right? So. Oh, good. Swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> no okay, why? Weed, marijuana, smoking? Old. S- old. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, door thoughts none. This <laughs> is like time for lyrical analysis. I'm tuned out. Do you remember that performance of Black Swan from the Under the Pink tour? I think it's on Tori Stories, where the audience is really coughing a lot, and she stops the song and says, "You're the most coughing bunch of people." Sounds like everyone has I tuberculosis. Have... Yes, exactly right. Maybe there was a vicar in the crowd <laughs> that night. Who knows? It's okay for the vicar to cough. Said she had some really good lozenges. Right. I can help you out. Big time. Interesting that we're more into discussing banter from a bootleg than we are about the song that's on the table. Well, I'm very upset about this because I want to get to the heart of Sister Named Desire. Okay, I'm sorry. John Ward was a vicar of Stratford-upon-Avon from 1662 to 1681. He's noted for his diary in which he recorded anecdotes about William Shakespeare. Cut to his death. Ward's diary indicates that he had a persistent cough and that he was physically frail for much of his time in Stratford. That's all I got. Yet we've been schooled. Is there any reference to a vicar in Fire Eater's Wife? Or am I only thinking of Unrepentant Geraldine's in the second movement where she talks about... The vicar's wife? The vicar's wife. I can tell you that Shaggy plans to... Well, maybe I better not say what Shaggy plans to request next to her. Sister Named Desire? And something else. Oh, Vicar's Wife? Well, I can't say that because I don't want anybody to steal his thunder. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's good. I feel like he couldn't take the loss after what happened with Posse Bonuses. Thought we dealt some little sweet stories in the I've told some sweet stories in a parking lot. Some of them were you, were to you, Eve. <laughs> That's true, yeah. but those are platonic stories because we're parking Maybe lot. Maybe to you. Were some of them about lighting little boys by their house? That's what I'm thinking. Like this is a very sexual song, right? So parking lots indicate like parking lots and backswings. And a vicar. So about the parking lot, David. You should see the mic passing that's going along in here. This is skilled. This yeah. is very skilled. We're all trying to pass the buck here. Who has something to say about a parking lot? Anyone? You ever seen a parking lot? Ever been in a parking I've lot? I've never been in a parking lot. Uh, not with a boy. They say the girl lost her sway. They say the girl lost her sway. Does that mean her virginity? See, or do we think of like an aging starlet yeah. who lost her sway? 
I, I look at sway as innocence. Like, I guess that line is the only one that makes sense to me, what she's saying. Like, the girl lost her sway that day. I she, think of it like Stella got her groove back. <laughs> but the opposite, right? That. Isn't, yeah. isn't there a Stella connection with regards to a streetcar? See, oh. I think of it as groove. Like, she lost her sway. She yeah. lost her spirit. Same, her mojo. Yeah, she lost yeah. her mojo. That's how I feel, too. Exactly. Not, not her virginity or her innocence. No. She lost, like, her, her spirit. Yeah. Agreed. But how? But she's in a parking lot with a boy that she knows and the backswing lighting a boy on fire. I'm coming up empty on this well, one. Well, we haven't gotten that far. We don't know. That's the only line that I think I feel like I understand this way. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something happened in the parking lot that killed her spirit. Maybe it wasn't a happy story with a boy. But that's the sweet story that was being told was about a girl who lost her sway. Oh. They she say, says, I thought we told some sweet stories. Maybe they weren't sweet stories. <gasps> Maybe they weren't sweet stories. I mean, the, the movie Streetcar Named Desire features some very strong female leads. Sexuality is very much in the forefront there. So is there a connection? Why are you coming up with Streetcar Named Desire? Because we're oh, talking about street a song named Desire. called Sister <laughs> oh. Named Desire. <laughs> I, I was t- Sorry. No, really had no idea why you were bringing up Tennessee Williams, but I get it now. Okay, sister named Desire. Okay, a streetcar named Desire. Basically, what I know with my vast theater education, what I'm pulling out of my hat right now, is that a streetcar named Desire is about a woman who has a sister, and the sister has spent her life trying to be this specific way, whereas her sister, Stella, has chosen this brute of a man and who hits her and messes around with her, but he is a real man and he and they have this connection and they have this animal passion that Blanche Dubois has never allowed herself to experience. And a streetcar named Desire being the metaphor for you should ride the streetcar named Desire, basically allow yourself, like you should be your animal instincts or trust your animal instincts or feel life and live life. Mess with the wrong crowd for a minute. And doesn't Streetcar Named Desire take place in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. track possibly could have been recorded, certainly in That's Louisiana. True. That's so true. it wouldn't surprise me if that was all kind of an influence, certainly on the sound, because it has that deep south kind of bluesy, meandering lull to it. Don't make me say honeysuckle, because honeysuckle I will lull. say it. No, okay, now I'm starting to see a connection. Got a Streetcar Named Desire. Okay. Yeah, so maybe the first verse is her going and doing those things, those dark things. The backhand swing, telling sweet stories, but then she lost her sway. Oh, okay. So maybe she. So let's let's go to the first verse again. I love spending time trying to make sense of lyrics that 
are likely improv lyrics, but I do feel maybe there's, I thought we were going somewhere, but we weren't. And it kind of destroyed my willingness to try or my mojo, like Doran Saker said. Yeah, especially when you go on to the next verse. Let's go to the next one. God, I'd like to take him for a long way. Good, maybe I... See, that sounds to me like now she wants revenge on this person who has hurt her. Yeah. Whether it's her or her sister that she's talking about, but she says, God, I'd like to drag him for a long way. Isn't it funny now we say drag? Like, we didn't used to say drag. Do you know what I'm saying? No. When we say, like, (laughs) oh, drag her. Like, when you are insulting someone, she's dragging her. You know what I mean? Like, we'd say that now as an insult. or Mm -hmm. We didn't used to say that back in 1996. Mm -hmm. So drag always... Literally dragging. Yeah, Yeah, it was like a violent reference. Yeah. 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 That's good. I like it. So she wants revenge Mm -hmm. because someone hurt her. This is, for some reason, Alice is trying to give me shades of Smokey Joe, Smokey Joe, Smokey Joe, where there's some sort of violence or some, something that has taken place and this character is coming forward to sort of like retaliate in defense of her sister or whoever that other female character is. Okay. So the character, the person that's singing is the sister of Desire, which is maybe obvious, but now it's only clicking for me. So Mm -hmm. she's singing about her sister. It's like the Stella character singing about Blanche. Mm -hmm. I get it. Okay. But Blanche in this movie is is kind of um, fragile and very like all over the map. And like she's been exiled from her home because she had a relationship with a 17 year old student. Right. And she has that like, you know, she's just lost her the family home and she's kind of like super flirtatious and a little inappropriate and really shakes things up. Whereas like this, the sister, the that's narrating it is pretty like straight laced and a little bit more boring, I guess, but very daunted by the sister coming. She's pregnant. Remember? Yeah. I just watched the movie this year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It's been a long time since I watched it. All right. Now I feel like we're really getting somewhere. Okay. Okay. Then I just cry little tear near then she says, I'll cry a little tear near him. So she wants to like have revenge on him. And then she says, and then I'll just cry a little tear. Maybe I'll feel a little bit sorry. Well, Blanche Dubois was super attracted to uh, well, Stanley Kowalski, Stanley. of course. She was super attracted to him, but hated him. Everything that was in her said she should hate this man and she should be offended by this man and not want to be anywhere near him. Yet she was drawn to him in kind of the same way if she's crying a little tear after dragging him, but still feeling bad. And the way you just articulated that is very consistent with the way Tori has described her own relationships with men during this period and trying to figure out why she was drawn to a certain type or she knew she was doing things that were unhealthy, but she wasn't able to stop herself. And Yeah. So Mm -hmm. is... I'm going to say his name is Trent Stanley Kowalski. Well, here we are in New Orleans, so... Oh, yeah, and is the sister... That's what I was just going to say. Is the sister her? Is she the sister? And she's singing from... Is she Stella or is she Blanche? Maybe yeah. we all have a little Stella and a little Both Blanche. Both of us. She talks about that a lot, how we have different parts in ourself, and you have to talk about all the different pieces of yourself, so maybe that's true. It's... Her one side talking to the, her other side. Oh, it's like it's like Mary Magdalene and the Virgin Mary is what we're getting at. Okay, I'm starting to see. And you have to marry those two inside of Oh, yourself. she should write songs about this. Mary the Mary. She should totally talk about that more often. Right. She should. To the sleepy safe place. What does that mean, sleepy safe place? 
Is that the Virginia? Where she goes at sleepy time? I would say that's a... I think that's a reference to the Virginia. Because safe, warm, maybe because of icicle. But then where does that fit in in that verse? So connecting the song back to the film Streetcar Named Desire, if one can do that, you know, it talks about stories were told, you know, they say this and that. And then, um, and, you know, the character of Blanche Dubois in Streetcar, she, in the movie, is about to kind of go to this, like, s- safe place. Right. I mean, like, kind of take a very, uh, make a life choice that is very different from all that has come before and marry this kind of square older man that is very, um, like, safe and sleepy, one could say. But then he calls it off because he hears from stanley all of these mostly true rumors about blanche and her her salacious past so to speak and and he calls it off so she's not able she she well she lost her sway yeah and the stories in the safe place so then i cry a little tear near him to that sleepy safe place i weep that i have to move on but i move on to something safe like i want to just drag that boy who turns me on and cry because i can't have him or won't let myself have him as I move on to that sleepy, boring, safer person. That I... Sleepy, safe place to me makes me think of someone who's numbing themselves and they don't want to. Right after that, that's when she gets like really passionate and she says, And I'm gonna take it by myself if I got to go. What does that mean? Well, in terms of this album too, she also talked about sort of awakening her sexuality and her womanhood and feeling like in the past she'd only been truly alive when she was on stage. So that line sort of is in line with that, her trying to awaken that for herself. And I like the idea of like, whatever you want, you take. And if you think you can't have it and you get one more opportunity to take it, then you take it. Mm -hmm. If I have to go, I'm going to take it. There's a line. It's a Lana Del Rey lyric. If you're going crazy, just grab me and take me. That's what I'm getting shades of here. Okay. You know, Take you know, me with you? Yeah, like the idea of going crazy being a place that you go to. If I've got to go, who knows where she's going, I'm going to take him. That's not what I got from that line. That Tell me, what did you get from it? Oh, really? If you're going crazy, just grab me and take me? I thought that is a much more sexualized line, but maybe you're gonna that's take just someone. me. Oh, interesting. I always thought of like, you're going crazy, I want to go with you. Don't go anywhere I can't go. Like, I'll go with you to the end. Even if you're going crazy, just grab me and I'll be there with you. Oh, I thought it as a much more... You're listening to Lana Del Radio, our podcast <laughs> about Lana Del Rey songs. Blanche does go crazy at the end of Streetcar Named Desire, right? I think so. And I'm also reading, though, that... The the actress Vivian Lee, who actually had bipolar disorder in real life, uh, later on in her life had difficulty actually telling the difference between things that happened to her in real life and things that happened to that character. In that really? Movie. Yeah. And that in the movie, when they shot the movie, they actually um, made the set smaller and smaller as the filming went on to make it feel that more I can crazy tell making. too. That makes that I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense because at the end, when she is kind of everything's collapsing in around her, the room uh-huh. you can even see that the room feels smaller to mm. her. Oh, that's so interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. Don't let you, let you know where she goes to those. What are those? Those boys where she takes them? Does she have a collection of these? Don't let you know where she goes to with those. Does that make sense? You're right. Am I off the beaten path? No. Do I get an A? A. Hey. A plus. A plus. <laughs> Yeah. 
sense. Me as I interfere. Oh, her other side, her rational side. I don't know. Me as I interfere. Well, she's interfering with all of this. She's getting revenge and taking him away by herself and whatever she's doing, she's interfering. So she's fighting herself. So then this is two warring sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how one side impedes another side or yeah. Do you ever feel that way, David? Constantly. Really? Yeah. Because I'm only asking that. I don't know if you're joking or not, but I'm only asking because you grew up very religious. You went to Catholic school and and, uh, the one that starts with the M, not Mormon, (laughs) Methodist school. Yeah. My parents are Methodist. Yeah. Yeah. But you were a homosexual growing up and you knew that. Mm -hmm. So did you feel ever at war with yourself? Maybe when I was very young, but I feel like I'd sort of reconciled that um, early on. So I didn't really feel like a huge sense of religious guilt pulling Mm. me in that I like had a lot of self-loathing around being gay or anything like that. It was more about the response I was probably going to get from my parents versus the way I felt personally. So usually if I'm worrying, it's do I want to eat pizza or do I really want to eat pizza? That's about as, that's about as high stakes as it gets for me these days. Do they say that? That's what they say. All right. Just a, just a rumor. Teach me about the old, old world's big brother man in an elevator. In an elevator. Love in an elevator. Do you think that's, I mean, this is a sexual thing, right? Big brother man. Teach me about the old world's big brother man. Yeah, I think everything in the song is sexual pretty much. So. Yeah. Safe to say. Makes me think of Never Seen Blue. She talks about an elevator and Never Seen Blue. Oh, yeah, you're right. She does, But that's about Mark. Well, <gasps> she meet Mark? Certainly before this. Let's go back to the Kron. Back to the timeline. This is CSI, Tori Amos. I know. She just thinks elevators are sexy. I don't know. Maybe elevators are, I mean. Thing for love in an elevator. Somebody can get out without a sound. Get out seems to me a substitute for get off in this lyric. And since it's improv, maybe she meant get off, but it wasn't coming to her past mm. Well, she talks about the sound in other times because that's like her way of dealing with the world is through sound. Like in Horses, she says, watching my every sound. Kind of a weird thing because you would think that you would say watching my every move, but she says watching my every sound. And this is kind of the same thing. Get out with the sound. You would think you would get out with a motion, but you get out with a sound. Well, I look at it as like get out with the sound. We can get out with groove out mm-hmm. with the sound. That's yeah. how I, yeah. Like, or get out with that sound. You're crazy. Right. It's unbelievable. Right. right. It's, it's very uh, 70s funk. Yeah. Get up off of that sound. <laughs> exactly. What's the next line? They say that girl lost his way. Just watch it. Just watch it slip through my hands, boy. The girl lost her sway, her third person. Watch it slip out of my hands, boy. So she's losing the sway. Yes. She's losing this that girl's sway. Sorry to be that person that always brings it back to the movie, but there is an implied rape scene mm. in A Streetcar Named Desire. I love how it's just when Doris says, I hate to be that girl that just brings it back to the movie, as if this is the song version of the movie, like known, the book oh, version. I, I think there are there's strong evidence that there could be some, you know, overlapping I themes. There's especially like what you said about... 
about New Orleans and it does kind of have this like sort of feel it reminds me of Blood Roses a lot actually oh yeah so maybe uh she's relating to the character on that level and that's why she kind of changes the narrative the first person narrative go further or, with that what do you mean just that you said that sometimes she's talking about her and sometimes she's talking about me right maybe that's in part why because she's talking about the girl lost her sway like in the movie not to you know spoil the movie but there is a, a an implied rape scene in it where stanley kowalski quote-unquote interferes with blanche and we know that this is an experience that tori can share with a character like that Damn. so maybe when it comes to losing one's sway she can relate oh this whole the whole like lyrical content just uh, changed when you said that for me yeah but it also totally makes sense to me because i feel like there's a very dark thread of abuse and violence maybe even that took place during childhood throughout a lot of the pele b-sides and that it's kind of couched in these are silly songs or they're just kind of throwaway but i think there's something that tori is sort of working out or addressing that she doesn't want to confront or acknowledge head on and we sort of get bits and pieces of it here and there but we're not really sure what it all what's another example well i think she does that often with silly songs masking really dark things like if you look at happy phantom it sounds like a silly song but really that song is like about suicide to me Mm -hmm. and you know and i i think that you're right that she really does mask really dark topics in a silly way to try and i don't know if it's to try and cover up that it's a dark topic or just to make it palatable what's another example in the pele besides of what you're saying for me this old man Mm -hmm. i don't think there's you know there's certainly a reason why she chose that and especially when she performed it live she would kind of come come unhinged and it was very strange and she would pair it more often than not with damage which obviously also has to mean something so i just think there's there's something going on here there's also dark stories in graveyard and toodles mr jim so if in a world where we all agree that she probably wasn't tweaking and retweaking the lyrics over and over to this song, right? And that she right, was that kind of, it came out yeah, how in a moment it. during, you know, a studio session of some kind. If she's already in that zone, I can totally see why, like, this was would be the mood that she was sitting with or that, like, why something like this would come out. So and it may have been... her sister is a younger her. And then she says... The girl lost her sway. Just watch it slip through my hands. And so she's looking back about how it was the girl, but she she was watching it slip through her hands. So she's looking back at it slipping through her hands when she was a girl. Makes sense to me. The day that she lost this way. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And it's also now starting to give me like a little bit of a a peeping Tommy vibe where Mm -hmm. she's sort of watching something that happened in the past from a different perspective, like out of out of body. Yeah, I can totally see that. And then now she's saying that whoever it was that hurt her, she'd like to drag him and, yep. and take him by herself and have revenge on him. But she would kind of also feel regretful. Maybe it was a vicar, maybe. And, you know, that comes back to climb. Too. And this old man. Yeah. So maybe it was a church person that revenge. hurt her. And the revenge element yeah. also ties in with blood roses, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe those are all tying together to some person in the church that hurt her. So she would also feel a sadness because it was somebody that she knew and maybe was close to her family or something like that. I think you're totally right. And for me, when you say climb, I always want to go back to icicle. I feel like icicle and climb are very linked. And that's kind of the example I go to where I think there's something a lot a lot darker in the narrative of icicle that she's not wanting to address head on by telling like a story about her grandma or 
her dad finding out that she was masturbating. Like, I think that's all probably true and that's part of it, but that's kind of like a smoke screen that's, that's, to distract yeah. from what she's really exploring like that's in that song. Yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. I think there have been a couple, maybe just like two instances in interviews in print, I think, where Tori, kind of without any prompt, alludes to the fact that there was some kind of abuse that she experienced as a child. And I think she says someone in the church and a friend of her family. And we've heard a lot about kind of the incident that Me and a Gun was written about, but nothing about her as a child. So I feel like it's very strange that that has been mentioned so rarely and that it's not really talked about. And even though she volunteered it, other people haven't really followed that thread. But I think there's no way it can't be present in some of these songs, for sure. And it's just sort of a door that's not really opened, rightfully so. But She paired Icicle with The Pool on this tour. You're so right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And I always thought The Pool was about like a childhood molestation. Yeah. And when you look at the lyrics to The Pool, that may be as pointed as she's gotten. Like, don't be afraid. No one will know. Just mm-hmm. you and me. That is extremely Twisting. disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to put that together, I never thought about iSchool as anything deeper. So I'd be interested, what else do you have to say about that? Mm. But yeah, pairing that with the pool, definitely, that would make a lot of sense to put those two together. We might need to do Icicle Remastered and really explore that because I'm personally... I think that's an amazing song for a lot of reasons, but I it's think so that's interesting like when you about. start hearing different people's perspective on things because everybody has their own relationship to songs and you learn things that you would have never ever thought when you hear someone else's perspective mm. and you're like, I would have never put that together with that song. And it just opens up like a whole new world of what that song can mean. I think that's so amazing about her songs. Me too. We love that. And that's why the show hey, exists. we should do right? a podcast about it. I know, but it's happening now and it happens a lot, but it's always amazing to me and it happens totally organically that oh, we yeah. start talking about a song that maybe we don't have particularly strong feelings about, like A Sister Named Desire. Right. And before you know it, we're all leading in closer, like, yeah. yes! Yeah. And then we're and talking then... about Icicle and the pool. I and... and we all feel like we understand Sister yeah. Named Desire, right? right. <laughs> yeah, it's totally cool. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> Let's keep going. So she still can sway. It has a happy ending. She got her groove back. She still can sway. Whatever happened didn't rob her of that forever. Well, it never said that she lost her sway. It says they say she lost her sway. Well, you know when you see someone like an old crone living in a house and they say that was the day that she... I should close my curtains. You know what I'm saying? Like It's implied that she has lost her sway. They say that that was the day that she lost her sway. It was that one experience that made her close up shop. When she mishavishammed. Exactly, when she mishavishammed. <laughs> She's shamming. <laughs> She's shamming. So I'm inclined to believe that she has lost that sway and that this is a triumphant return of the sway. Interesting. Except she says she still can sway, not she can sway again. Like she hasn't swayed in so long and she's still got that sway. I think maybe she didn't ever completely lose it. Maybe people just thought she had, but it was still inside Including her herself. But it was still in there somewhere. Well, this is our favorite song now and we're all <laughs> going to request it on the next one. I think we should. <laughs> I think we should. What's your favorite lyrical moment, Saker? I like when she says cry a little tear. I just like the way it sounds. 
What's your favorite lyrical moment, Dorothy? Now, after this analysis, I feel like I know the lyrics better than I I know the song. And I think it's hard to separate a lyrical moment from a musical moment. And I I would say my favorite lyrical moment is the instrumental piano opening. (laughs) (laughs) David? I don't know that I would say I like the lyric, but I would say I know a vicar who coughs a lot because for me that kind of ties together any potential link there may be between icicle and climb. And I think it sounds like a non sequitur throwaway silly, but there's actually a real reference there to something she experienced. And there's something kind of dark and creepy about that to me. So I think that's kind of a key to what the song is about on some level. I think my favorite lyrical moment is they say the girl lost her sway. I like that lyric because the word sway, because it, it just reminds me of, you know, swaying to the music and just um, feeling connected to something greater. Sensual. It feels sensual, yeah. Yeah, it does feel like New Orleans, yeah. sensual, southern. Someone in a sundress just yeah. swaying. In the honeysuckle. <laughs> sway. You always felt like sway. Sway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have a special treat for you, ladies and gentlemen. We're stepping in with Paul Roy Taylor for another installment of Wine Down with Paul Roy. Hi, Paul Roy. Hello. You enjoying that wine, Paul Roy? Mm. It's delicious. What is it? It's uh, a red. It's a table red. Oh, it's a red? (laughs) It's a a table red blend called Duende. I've been saving it for actually three years. I got it three years ago. Yeah. I'm drinking. honored. You should what, feel honored. Does it taste good? Delish. What's up with the strong black vine? Like, why haven't you merchandised this yet? <laughs> strong black wine? Yeah. I don't know how to make wine. Go to Santa Barbara, get in your car, go to a winery. There's probably like six or seven that would see you. Just print out a prototype label. <laughs> There's a print shop right around the corner. I know this because it took me a hundred times circling to find your <laughs> parking spot. I knew it was going to come up. <laughs> the Drive All Night Studios are hot in the middle of <laughs> central Los Angeles. Bring a label to them and say like, hey, like, can we can we buy some of your wine wholesale? We'll slap this label on. And if it's cool, we'll put your name on it. So you get credit. We'll give you 30%. Really? It can't be that hard. That happens? I have People do that? I think. Paul I mean, Roy's just given us a business plan, ladies. <laughs> he comes prepared. <laughs> he may not have brought his own wine, but he brought his own wine plan. Mm. Do you want to listen to Yanta's cover of Sister Named Desire and give us your insight, your musical insight? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. We're going to play it, and, we're gonna, and Paul Roy's just going to talk over it. Enjoy. feel like um this whole song like the first four minutes of this song is just like intro to the last minute of this song Mm. that's interesting what makes you feel that way um like the the kind of uh it's like all build up the first bit like that we're listening to right now is a total ear sore like i can't i i don't play it i can't really listen to it i feel like the song starts at the do 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 Mm, you know that one yeah
Do you think it was an improv, this whole beginning? Do you think the whole song is an improv? I absolutely do. This Alamo. So, like, there's a part in this song, you know how I was saying, like, it kind of builds up to something. Mm -hmm. Um, You can hear it right now. Like, she's kind of, it's like a little build. You can hear it. It's like building to a crescendo. So you said you believe that the song is an improv. You as a piano player who plays her music, what makes you think that? Uh, it's not so much as a piano player, it's just, I feel like it's almost like deductive reasoning. Like she was improvising a lot. The silly songs, like right, we pretty much ag- yeah. agree that those are, um, improvs for the most part. Part of it is because she doesn't play this song. She doesn't, doesn't mm. play it. And she does sort of shy away from about half of her improvs. Like mm-hmm. she hasn't played Samurai. Right. You know? Or Hungarian Wedding Song. Or Hungarian Wedding Song, or this one. And I tend to think the songs that are really sort of atypical for how she normally plays are in the improv category a lot. Like Samurai mm-hmm. um, is not like anything on in her repertoire, not really. Mm-hmm. And either is this. It's really kind of unusual for how she normally plays, and I tend to think those songs are improv coupled with never being played, so. Right. Yanta just he's like, amazing like he, come on he's a genius like I kind of feel like with piano players there's a triangle like if you think of a triangle and one side is skillful at transcription another side is skillful with sight reading and another another is skill with um, improvising mm-hmm. and most people that I've run across are good at only two. Mm-hmm. Sometimes only one, but maximum two. Mm-hmm. Like someone might be good at transcribing and good at improvising, but they suck at sight reading. reading. But I f- feel like Yanta's probably one of those three-sided triangles. Ugh. Like, because he composes his own stuff and his transcriptions are note for note perfect. And I can't imagine that he would have trouble sight reading just based on what I've seen. Like how he can dissect the song to yeah. its core, yeah. I was looking at it before I came here because I would kind of keep a tally of what he has left. He's almost done with her entire catalog. What? Um, Faster than us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's transcribed her entire catalog in less time it's taken to, t- to get to, to points for Pele. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yanta, stop showing off. He's like 22, 23, 24 songs away. And they're like the rarities, like uh, Happy happy Worker and Ring My Bell. Like, who See, knows? We're doing them in chronological order. That makes it more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Like, okay, so right there, she does this really interesting thing. Like, her voice is, it's, like, changing um, from everything she's, every way she's sung throughout the entire song. Sometimes, like, I've noticed what she does is she'll play a chord that has not appeared in, in the song as of yet. And she'll kind of only play it, like, while she's emphasizing the most important part of the song. It's just a slight minuscule change, but um, like it's it's like super dramatic. So I think it's um, there's like a B flat in this part that doesn't appear anywhere else, and then it appears, I think um, one or two times um, shortly thereafter. And it's yeah, it's just this really cool thing she does. It's like just one change, but it's really um, creates an impact. It 
it really feels like this whole song is is leading up to that last minute like the whole song kind of changes in the last minute and that also kind of makes me think it's again an improv it's like she's working it out as she's playing it change it and and like that accounts for that um impossible to listen to first minute of the song <laughs> where she like abandoned that because she was like oh this is terrible okay i'll switch into this thanks guys allegedly thank you paul Roy. <laughs> do you have a shout out you want to give to the genius yanta yanta thank you for everything you're you're fantastic we all appreciate you everything yanta you're amazing please support yanta where you can hear all of his wonderful covers if you support him on patreon patreon.com slash yanta make sure you throw him a little bit of of support because he has done I guess all of Tori's catalog faster than we could so what's what's next for Yanta is it gonna start doing like the live stuff that's or? what I wonder because he goes back and retranscribes things that he's not satisfied with for the life of me I can't figure out why he's not satisfied because they feel perfect right <laughs> that's <laughs> but, a true genius that's, that's like a true perfectionist like no no um but yeah I wonder like is he gonna do because he's got a following right. and he's i'm sure he's you know making some money mm-hmm. like in the process of being creative so i don't know live versions i, guess? I think he should do live versions well, what would your request be? My, the first live version that i would want him to do would be hotel solo 2005 phoenix arizona which is a song she played for me brag brags i would do father lucifer letterman Oh, that's really great. Yeah. That's really great with the runaway, turn away. I actually have some, I don't know where I got it. I have a transcription of the tubular bells that she did on that. Oh, it's pretty good. God. I love If anybody wants it, contact Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get it to you. I'll be the third party middleman. It's fine. It's fine. Paul Roy, thanks for joining us. We always love having you to wind down. How's the wine? Gone. Gone. Yeah, you are drunk. <laughs> You're wasted. We'll talk to you soon-ish. You want to do Blue Skies with us? Lauren's going to. That's a... Oh, give it a shot. Sure, All right, why good. not? <laughs> okay, bye. Got a sister named Desire. They don't let you light those little boys by their house. On the backhand swing, yes. know a vicar who coughs a lot. I thought we told some little sweet stories in the parking lot. They say the girl lost her sway. They say the girl lost her sway that day. God, I'd like to drag him for a long way, cause maybe I. Then I'd just cry a little tear near him to that sleepy, safe place. I'm gonna take him by myself if I've gotta go. Don't let you, let you know where she goes to with those. Me as I interfere. The girl lost her sway. They say the girl lost her sway that day. Teach me about them old worlds, big brother man. In an elevator where somebody can get out with the sound. They say the girl lost her sway. Just watch it. Just watch it slip through my hands, boy. Watch it go, what you know. Hey, yes, I see. Just see, cause she still can sway.
Well, David, what do you say we talk to some super fans who probably already are at the place where we got to in the lyrical <laughs> interpretation? Yes? They're lined up. They can't wait to talk. Okay, here we go. Hello? First on the list is Julie Suzanne Chapel here to fill in some Neil Gaiman gaps. Tell us everything you know, Julie. Yes. So Desire is one of the characters in Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics. And Desire is the cruelest of the siblings. Desire is the third youngest of the Endless and the Twin of Despair. When I first heard the song, like, I didn't know it was a reference to Neil Gaiman. So I, I kind of thought maybe it was like a, a bad sexual situation when I read the lyrics. Like she was singing about someone that had, you know, a, a rape or something. But once I tied it into the Neil Gaiman comics, it kind of made more sense to me. In what way does it make sense with the Neil Gaiman comics? I guess when she says, like, they say that girl lost her sway because the character Desire, Desire's not completely oblivious to its actions, but considers the consequences of its actions unimportant. So if you look at the lyrics, it says the girl lost her sway. I think my interpretation is kind of flipped off into a being a bad person and not worrying about her consequences. In that way, the desire is the cruelest of the sisters. Yeah. And then at the end, teach me about them old world's big brother in an elevator where somebody can get out with the sound. Uh-huh. She's talking to one of the siblings. I guess that sibling must be older than her and she wants to hear about what happened in the old world, like oh. the ancient world. That this is my interpretation. Oh, I yeah, mean, of course. it didn't say anything about these lyrics, but that's what I draw from it. What is your personal connection to the song? I just think it's so incredibly like she went off on a kind of a blues jazz piano riff and what initially attracted me to the song wasn't necessarily the lyrics, it was the sound, it was her sound in it. She kind of goes up like a chromatic scale. In her vocal range, she's singing very high for her vocal range, and the piano is kind of playing like these augmented jazz chords. And I, that, that's what really drew me to it is the sound of the piano, the music, the mood like the that it created. And then I, then after that, I got into the lyrics because I was like, I want to know where she's going with this. And then uh, as soon as I found out that it was tied to Neil Gaiman, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, now it kind of makes more sense to me. And it's it's probably not about someone in a compromised situation. It's, it's pr- probably something to do with that story. So I kind of read the story a little bit. Have you ever requested it from her? I've not requested it from her because I looked on ToriSet.org <laughs> and I noticed that she doesn't play it live. She's never played it live. So you're like, I'm not wasting a request. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then like that whole Tallulah single, I I consider the songs like sisters. So Mm. I really wanted to hear the sister song Alamo. So Mm -hmm. I did request that. Okay, great. What's your relationship from 1996 to now? What's how has your relationship with Sister Named Desire changed the song? Like, have you do you have a more mature relationship? Do you see the song differently now that you're older? Yes, I do. Because, you know, when, when I first heard it, I thought... It was, it was more about the music, and now it's about the words and everything, the whole song. And now that she's gone and added the bass part with the remaster, it kind of adds a certain flair to it as well. Yeah. I mean, she added bass to Alamo and Sister Named, named Desire. And at first I was like, no, no, you cannot mess with these songs, no. <laughs> and now that I listen to it, like on earbuds with the volume cranked up and, you know, no interruptions. I can totally appreciate what she's done by adding the bass track in. So you're team bass. Yes, yes. I think I'm team bass too. I always like a little 
little back end. Do you like the remasters of those songs I love with that. the bass out of I it? I do. I love the bass more than I like the original. I mean, I like the originals fine, but the bass just adds a whole different perspective, which I really enjoy. It does. And, and of course, the remasters sound better you know, than the original, better quality. Yeah. So now the bass really adds, adds to that as well. Well, thank you for sharing your time with us, ladies and gentlemen. This was Julie Suzanne Chapel. She played our Tory Tour WW game, and you can find her on Twitter at Detura10. This is Jules Undented live on our show. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. On the line, we have Jessica Levy, a super fan of Sister Named Desire, who we've tasked with guiding us through our, I don't know, thorough decoding of this inscrutable song and also helping us walk away with a new a new understanding and appreciation for the song. So no big deal. You're totally up to that challenge, right, Jessica? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So tell us about your relationship with Sister Named Desire. Do you remember the first time you heard it? Well, I do. I, I remember I remember before I heard it. I remember looking um, at the album and saying, oh, Sister named Desire. I happened to have found Tori and Neil Gaiman at about the same time in my life. And so they had, I don't want to say equal because they're totally different, but I, I was really into Neil. And so I said, oh, okay, we brought in Desire. What's this about? Or another thought, is it, is it Sister Janet number two? How are we related to that? So I, I think the very first time I listened, I listened with them. Very excited ears and already trying to decipher and I don't know that I ever really got great deciphering. And this is going to sound really, really strange because I love lyrics. But there's something about the melody and the music that tells me so much more. Like, I, I feel um, the minute I heard it, that I knew it. Like, we were, there's a song that I was friends with since before I remember hearing for it. Yeah, I get that. I knew I loved you before I right? met you. Right? <laughs> so, so you were already a fan of the comic book before you had heard the song. So you understand those connections. Yeah. So yeah. none of us had read the comic book, so we didn't really know what those connections were. So we were interested in learning those kinds of connections because we just kind of went through the lyrics but we didn't really know the connections right. to the comic books. Yeah, so aside from the title and the reference to Desire, obviously, are there other are there other moments in the lyrics that connect to the Sandman comics? Or does it kind of stop there? I think it kind of stops there. And I think I really, you know, what really puzzled me or what I've, I've thought about a lot is Tori's perspective on this. When Neil had asked her uh, later on, and they're obviously really great friends, I know, we all know. And she... Uh, she wrote that forward for the death book and in it she had written how she had wished she was the death character so what really struck me when i listened to sister named desire was how tori was continuing that i'm not desire you're i'm death you're my <laughs> sister desire like it wasn't she was desire sister desire over there you know uh-huh. and so that was a very interesting thing how she um, i just thought that was very interesting to me that she's like no 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 i'm not claiming desire as me no 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 but maybe a part of me, because I feel like I have a hundred sisters in my head. So in the song, do you think that Tori is Desire, and she's trying to separate herself from that, but she really is Desire? I think so. I mean, I think 
I think it's about that piece of we've got a million sisters in our heads and we can analyze each piece of me and maybe it's the warning of don't go or go or don't for you. you she, she lost her sway, but you know, I got sway. I'll give you sway. I'll, I'll lend that to the other part of me. It's sort of what I feel from it. And, and then I analyze myself that way. Like, where am I with my, uh, my mojo, you know? Mm. So do you think that this song is connected to the narrative and themes that she's exploring on Boys uh, for Pele? Or do you think this is kind of an outlier oddity as a B-side? You know, it's, I think it's one of those B-sides that it's out there. I think it's part of the B-side sisterhood. So this is one of the rare songs that has never been performed live. Have you ever requested it or talked to her about it? Yes, I did. I think, um, and so definitely back in the beginning, in 1996, I asked for it. Um, and uh, she played Sister Janet. She gave me a sister because I, I asked for a sister named Desire. And she just giggled. I think she may have almost even like punched me in the arm or something. She was just like, ah, uh, no. And she goes, what about any others? And I went, well, I really love Sister Janet. She goes, okay. <laughs> and um, she did Sister Janet. Yeah. Classic Tori. One sister's <laughs> as good as any other. Right, they're right? all the same. <laughs> Have you asked for it any other times? Um, let me think. Did I ask for I don't know if I did. I think, um, I don't know. I got this very clear sense that it would come if it wanted to come, and there was no pushing that girl out of her. Like, that came in our one little exchange. So, no, I didn't keep bugging her for it. I, I've asked other people if they're interested to bug her. Hey, don't you like that song? Why don't you ask? Maybe the force of us. <laughs> That's well, a level of like restraint yeah. and characteristic of most Tory fans. Right. <laughs> well, it seems like other people who have right? asked for it have gotten the same kind of reaction. You know, we had talked about... Um, Maybe it was just kind of an off-the-cuff improv, so maybe that's why she's been hesitant to play it, because it was really not a fully-fledged song. It was just kind of a off-the-cuff sort of thing, and so maybe that's why she hasn't really played it. I totally agree, and I think that's where I think of it as um, that group of songs, and some, a lot of them are B-sides, that they're just grasping something out in the ether. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Saker, that I think that it's, um, it's a matter of, it's not something developed and nourished um, in the same way. In the same way, I think she just translated it for us. Has your relationship with the, with the song changed over time since it's been with you for so long? And how did it feel to get that remastered version with the added bass that kind of came out of no, nowhere 20 years after the fact? Oh, my God. So the added bass, that was an incredible dream. I happened to be a fan of uh, George Porter. So that was pretty intensely beautiful to know that there was this quiet line there that enriched it and grew its body. So that was really amazing. And it definitely has grown to me because I think that's where I don't know that I had this perspective of is it my sister? Am I a sister? Is it part of me? How do I that that grew out of growing with it? You know, there was a time that I went, oh, I can relate to losing my sway, and then I was, you know, wait, you can get your sway. It's just so much of it. Um, it does grow. They grow with us, and they become part of. I think for me how you maybe internalize and relate to yourself. What more can you say once you get back your sway? Girls gotta have her sway. <laughs> All right, sisters, any final words? I don't know. I love what you guys do. Just like the Tory songs, there have been times in my life where I... Uh, God, having all of you guys and my friends and my fan friends and other people's perspective um, has really gotten me back where I needed to be too. So thank you guys for that. That's Bye. awesome. We feel the same way. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. Bye guys. Bye bye. The strange desire is waiting to be my life.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, this episode would not be complete if we didn't talk to two sisters named Desire. We have Shay Stymack on the line and her beautiful sister, Lynn Nettleton. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. My first question is, which of you is Desire and which of you is Despair? I have to answer this first, Lynn, (laughs) and I would say that I'm Despair (laughs) and you're Desire. Oh, wow. I'm honored. I'm so Um, glad you own it. (laughs) (laughs) The light and the dark. One with your shadow. You must be one with your shadow. That's true. I mean, okay, we'll just say Shay, as growing up as a teenager, did show the darkness with the black walls in her bedroom and a little bit of sadness, if you will. (laughs) For those of you who don't know Lynn Nettleton and her lovely sister Shay, who happens to be our researcher for this show Shay has dark black hair and Lynn has bright blonde hair <laughs> on brand that is, yeah. true that is very true although I, ha- I have gone a little more natural these days Eve, mm. so mm. you know we can bring it back for the 2020 tour <laughs> no problem so you two are super fans of sister named desire is that is that the intel that I've got no, that is Shay is definitely the super fan of the song. I'm just in this to talk about being a sister because I don't really have a connection with the song, although it's beautiful, but it's always been Shay's song. So Shay, give us more information on that. When did you discover this song? What did it mean to you when you first heard it? What is it? with you in this song? Well, actually, I remember the day that the single came out. I don't know how I found out that it was coming out, the Tallulah single, but I did somehow. And my best friend at the time, her name is Dawn, um, we decided that we were going to go to Berkeley to the record store to pick up this single. And we didn't have cars or money so we dug through our couches and we dug through change jars and everything collected enough you know quarters nickels and dimes and we got a BART ticket and we hopped on BART and went to um, Telegraph Avenue to get our our CD from Rasputin's in Berkeley yeah and then on the ride home you know we didn't have that on our phones we didn't even have our CD Walkmans with us we had to wait till we got home (laughs) this is 96 ladies and gentlemen that's right the disc man was king so the song hearing these three song sisters they always are Alamo Sister Named Desire and Frog on My Toe always a trilogy for me I don't know it just it stood out to me right away it's so dreamy the piano intro it's like was it one of those songs where they hit record she was already playing I don't know but it just puts you in that spot you know when that that dreamy just lilting piano I don't know it's shy it's a shy song and it's an empowered song at the same time the girl lost her sway in that in my mind kind of sway was kind of like her empowerment like this is my greatness this is my sway I don't know if I'm right in that but um, just thinking back to kind of like the precious things feeling she was so strong in her mind maybe just that moment she has it all figured out how she's going to act how she's going to talk the words that she's going to say to him everything it's all planned out in her mind and she has that one time in the park parking lot with him where she thought that they had a moment maybe holding on to a slice of herself being cool and believing that was enough to grow some kind of momentum and what she hopes will be like one of the greatest loves of her life uh, but something happened and we don't really know what it was maybe it was the com- like some kind of comment like the one from Precious Things you're really an ugly girl but oh. I like the way 
play. And that's the moment when she kind of lost her sway. She it oh. all crumbled, you know, it all went away. And that little seedling of hope that she had was just gone in that instant. And I think that my 16-year-old heart kind of knew this feeling too well, just being tossed aside, liking a certain boy or thinking that something could work with someone. And it's just, for whatever reason, it floats away and falls apart. And realizing that that lifetime that she'd built in her head with him, you know, the capital H-I-M, this one person was never even close to becoming a reality and I don't know, it's like a backhanded confirmation. Like, it's the worst feeling, especially as a young girl for me when I was living in this song. And as the song goes on in the, the verse where she says, God, I'd like to drag him for a long way because maybe I, and then it's like, there's really no ending to that maybe I, then I'll just cry a little tear. This entire verse is kind of her coming to terms with the reality that just slapped her in the face a moment ago. From the meows, you know, the, oh, the love, the meows, the sweetness, just right away it's fear, you know, fear and failure. And it, I don't know if that's a reference. Um, I don't know if the elevator part, teach me about the old world's big brother in an elevator. I don't know if that's a reference to kind of a 1984 world. Maybe it would be an easier life if we were controlled or told what to do or how to live our daily lives. Maybe there'd be less pain if we lived that way, but... Just tell me real quick, everything. Tell me real quick on this elevator ride, you know, before we get off. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot that this song holds for me. So, well, sorry, that was a little long-winded. No, that was amazing. I think, ladies and gentlemen, it's clear that Shay has thought a little bit about this song. <laughs> so, she's very qualified to speak on it. I have, n- I have never thought this much about this song. This is, this is great. I love uh, it. What's funny, here, I want to ask you two questions. The first question being, I want to ask this to Lindsay. What's it like being a sister who loves a sister who loves sister named desire shay has always had these um song favorites of tories that have never uh, we share a lot of the same loves for songs of tory but sister named desire is one that i've never really connected with even though it's beautiful but other songs like black swan like that's another one of shay's favorites that again it's gorgeous but it's it's darker it's um just a little bit outside of my bubble, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, but I love having that kind of difference between the two of us because even though, you know, Shay is such a happy, bright person, she has these darker, deeper parts to her and her soul, I guess. And um, I've always been kind of the more... uh, I'm all about, you know, sugar with the band, you oh, know great. what I yeah. mean? Like, oh, yeah. So there's always been that kind of difference between the two of us, and it's great. I think it balances us out. Because- this is exactly why I wanted to have fans on the show who loved specific songs, because I never in a million years, no matter how much I love or don't love this song, whatever my thought is, I never would have in a million years put the context that Shay just put, right? Like, she has clearly... <laughs> absorbed every line this right. is why she's our researcher <laughs> this is why i mean like she's <laughs> you you deep girl so <laughs> what's your I've had a lot of time to think on these songs I mean, it's, been, it's been a lifetime it's been 23 years yeah that's yeah. a lifetime yeah. uh, do you have any history requesting the song either of you or i requested it during the native invader tour it was the second la show i think it was right shay mm-hmm. i basically was writing a letter to tori as we were waiting for the meet and greet to happen. 
And um, we were next to be entered in, but then we never got there. So in my letter to her, I said, you know, I basically just gave her a little backstory about Shay and I and how long we've been fans. And, you know, I said, my sister would love it if you played Sister Named Desire tonight. It would be amazing. And, um, of course, she didn't play it that night. But She didn't? <laughs> it's a, but it was a tour I staple. <laughs> There's a handful of, what, maybe 10 or 15, not even 15, maybe 10 songs that she's never played live. And, mm. of course, this is one of them. Of I've uh, requested what? it, I think, two or three times each time. She has written it on her hand, but it has never, never snuck it's out. never come to fruition. So, what what girl, do you think is preventing her from playing it? Why do you think she doesn't play it? I personally just don't know that she even remembers that it existed or exists. I don't know if this is maybe one of those for her that she just doesn't remember it because you would think that it's easy, you know, it's right. not like a very complicated lyrically or I don't I don't know musically. I'm not a piano player, so who am I to say? But I wouldn't think this would be too difficult. So, I was going to yeah. try to learn it to play on guitar and it was not going to even happen at all. I'm not even that great of a guitar player. And I'm like, no, this this is a really difficult song. And I, I kind of feel like she was kind of like going off the cuff a little. And um, there were some points in her vocals that almost put it in like the same day that she recorded Walk to Dublin. You know, Oh, interesting. Just... What, what points do you think? <sighs> I just listened to the song last night a few times. And there's a moment somewhere, and I wish I could remember right now, but just something in her voice reminded oh. me of Walk to Dublin and I, I can't even put my finger on it right now so I guess we should listen back and you know well, but could it be okay. this moment possibly Lindsay City won't be coming What do you, what, I'd like to know your, both your opinions on um, the remastered with the bass added. Does that make a difference for this song for either one of you? I always love bass. I, mm -hmm. I although mm -hmm. here's the thing. We spoke with Paul Roy earlier about the musicality of the song and he's convinced this is 100% an improv and he had like 20 different mm -hmm. reasons why he thought that. And mm -hmm. so for, and I agree with him. And so for that reason, I don't think it needed the bass. Like, because mm -hmm. it was an improv, leave it pure in the moment. But I mm -hmm. respect that she was trying to work it up as maybe an album track by adding production to it so that it meant something to her at one time. That's what that reveals to me is that there was a baseline even added to it. Yeah. What do you guys think? When I first heard it on the Boys for Paley re-release, I didn't really even, it didn't click with me that there was bass added and then as i listened more i was like this is different Wait, this is what is different. it yeah and then i decided i don't like it except for i do like the part where it goes do 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 like oh, yeah that's, that's great bass. i yeah. love that little riff um but it doesn't need it i agree it does not need the bass so um yeah i would prefer i prefer the the non-bass version yeah <laughs> what are, what is everyone's favorite lyrical moment 
I like the last verse. She still can swing. And you're convinced at the end she says because she still can swing, but not sway? Yeah, I always thought it was sway until I got the Neil Gaiman um, CD and it's printed swing. Mm. So, And that's the only time I've ever seen official lyrics printed. And, yeah. and that's the um, first time that I learned in the beginning that it's they don't let you light those boys' Bibles on the backhand swing. They don't let you light those little boys' Bibles on the backhand swing. I love when she says big brother man. Big I brother man. Yes. That part. Yes. It's just a little tiny moment that I love so much. <laughs> well, and speaking of the big brother, I, like I said earlier, possibly um, referring 1984, but now I think, is it, is he, is she talking about Neil? Cause she calls him her big brother, you know? Mm-hmm. So is it him that she's referring to? I don't know. Um, ladies, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show and providing this insight. I love having sisters on sister named desire. And I, we decided to make this like the biggest, the most guests of any episode. So thank you for taking part in it. <laughs> Um, Thank you for having us. Uh, anytime. Absolutely anytime. Lynn, your covers are amazing. We played you. your Caudalite Sneeze cover, which I'm obsessed with, by the way, and Frog on My Toe. So when are you going to do another one? Well, Choir Girl coming up, it's a little... Uh, probably have to wait for Playboy Mommy, oh, I think. You, you don't want to do Blue Skies, like a cover of Blue Skies? Oh. <laughs> Can I just do interpretive dance? Yeah. Oh, yes. Please send us a video, <laughs> and then we'll play the audio of your feet stomping around in the, in the, in the podcast. That'll be great. Okay, yeah. I have a suggestion, um, maybe on some some of the other sister, where she either sings about sisters or it's in the title. You should just have your sister correspondence. We're right here for okay, you. Okay, great, done. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. I really love that idea. When I, yeah. Sister Janet, when Sweet. we redo it, yeah. Oh, suede. Yes, yes. suede. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much. And one last question: Do you think she'll ever perform it live? No. No, she's got to. Uh, no. I don't know. It's been so long. Okay, if we maybe put it back on her radar, I don't we've think unco- it's there. You know we've uncovered the time that she performed it at Soundcheck. You know that we've uncovered that, and we're playing it at the end of this episode. Oh. oh, oh get sure. ready. That's oh exciting. God. All right, ladies. Thank you thank so you much so for much, being on our friend. show. We'll talk again anytime she says Thanks. the word sister or anything that sounds like sister. If she ever says mister, my ankle straps, whatever, you're there. <laughs> All right. Sisters, okay, I have love a good me. night. Bye. Desire me, desire me as I desire you. Desire me and want me. That's all I'll ever ask of life. That you will someday come to me and say that you love me as I love you. are mine and mine alone desire me and love me and be the queen upon my throne for i will always worship you no matter where you go or what you do there comes a time in the life of every boy when one and only one girl Presidente. It sure is. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. You sound just like you do on the podcast. Oh, Lord. Let me tell you <laughs> who's here. This is here. so exciting. Let me tell oh, you tell who's me, here. Tell me, tell me. Dorothy Dotson's here. 
Hi. Oh, George. We also have <laughs> David Anderson. Hey. Oh, hey, David. And Saker Hines, who's a friend of ours who's in town. Hi. Oh, hey, Saker. Wow. What a crew. Yeah. What a crew. <laughs> We're all here crowded around one yeah. mic. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Okay. And you phoned all the way up here to Canada. Uh, well, because we read, I was like doing research on this song yesterday, and I, I read somebody in some thread on Unforums was like, I lost all my bootlegs. Can somebody help me to um, to locate the recording of Sister Named Desire that somebody recorded from a sound check? And I was like, oh, I totally know who recorded that sound check. Oh my God, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, we yes. have a special reason why you know that too. Mm-hmm. I know, and I've many mm-hmm. times I have said, of all of the sound checks that I would want to be recorded. Right. That, And I think I probably said that to you at the time. That is the one... That I that am one. so blessed to ha- that you recorded because she only sound checked a song that I so badly wanted her to play and then she didn't really play it. Did she sound check the tried. whole song? She tried to play it. Do you know what's amazing is that like that that's what a gift it was that you recorded this sound check for uh, Matt because I had asked her to play this song She by Elvis Costello which was popularized by the film Notting Hill and she sound checked it. Which I, you, I think you had told me before the show that she sound checked it. Yes. Um, and then she went to play it live, and she got uh, I think one or two bars out of it a cappella, and then she threw the lyrics on the ground and yeah, launched aborted. it, honey. And she told me later, or she told someone else to tell me later. She said, "Tell Zora I tried. It was really, really hard. Uh, the arrangement <laughs> was hard, or something." And I was like, kind of miffed about it. And then when I heard your sound check recording i was really very blown away that she had tried it at all because she really just kind of tinkers with the elvis song uh in the soundtrack it's like nowhere near ready nowhere near like let's play this in actual concert you know so the fact that she even did a couple of lines from it it became all the more meaningful to me that she even tried it soundtrack she kind of i think she attempted the whole song at least Mm -hmm. but it was really strange what kind of happened because we didn't mean to record that soundtrack yes just happened to be walking by okay so i used to have this really cool little tape recorder that my mom got for me and it had a little stereo condenser mic and i realized it was good for recording concerts so i would just record shows i went to just for my own um library like i didn't intend to share them they weren't fabulous quality but um i brought it with me to oakland on that trip and we happened to be walking by and we're like, oh, you can hear the soundtrack so well right by the door. So we went there, my friend and I, and we kind of like got really close. And I pulled out my little recorder and we started recording it. And it actually turned out pretty cool because she was playing that song, She, and I remembered you had asked for it. I'm like, oh, we got to record this one. And then she started doing Sister Named Desire, which she had never done before. And I don't think she even did in any shows after. Right. Yeah, so it was really cool. So we got the recording on both those songs. And then I found you after and told you all about She, and you were really happy. Did you have any context with Sister Named Desire? Did you know that she hadn't done it yet? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty diehard, right? So I was following all the set lists and everything, and I knew that it would have been a big surprise if she had pulled it out that night. And I was kind of assuming that she would, because she'd sound checked it. So, of course, little uh, 20-year-old me is running around. Guess what she's going to play tonight? I know, but she didn't. <laughs> oh, you're one of those. <laughs> oh, God. How did you feel? Uh, like, describe how, how it felt when you, when you realized, oh, my God, that's what she's sound checking right now. Well, I mean, it was really exciting. It's always exciting to um, hear a debut or something new and be a part of that. And um, 
I mean, that trip was really cool for me because it was about a month after September 11th. It was a really crazy time. I was pretty young. I got to fly down to San Francisco for my first time, had a wonderful visit with some friends and got to see Tori two amazing shows in a row. So the whole thing was just um, very exciting and having that little um, sound check moment was kind of cool too. I didn't think I still had it, but when you uh, emailed me yesterday, I went and dug through some old CDs and found it. Let's take a moment right now and listen to it and let everyone listen to it. Here's Tori sound checking oh, Sister Named Desire. Thank you. 
Wow. Matthew, that was great. Awesome. That was a little piece of history you got. There it is. How do you feel having recorded that? Through a door. Through a door, yeah. I can't resume one little fun fact with you while I have you on the line. Dude, do okay. shit. Yes. So I took that little um, tape recorder thing I had to every Tory concert, and I used to record them. And what wound up happening was I would record shows that didn't get recorded as much because I'm up in Canada, and it seems like some of the only Canadian bootlegs wound up coming from my recording. Really? No. And Sister Named Desire was never really my big song, but Sister Janet was. That's right. I so couldn't remember. So I needed to um, out myself as that crazy guy on your Sister Janet episode in oh, Vancouver who has to freak out when <laughs> she starts singing it. Yeah. And it's funny because I became a fan of your podcast just last year after um, our 2017 LA shows and the fabulous party. And so I've been working my way through them. And I got to that one. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> it's me. Let's play that clip. But let's so, let's, yeah. let's turn this into a clip show. Oh, let's play that clip right play. now. Some really nice young man asked me to play this song. And, uh, it's hard for me to turn down nice young men. imagine i requested the song and i was recording it so and it's the her little secret time thing and she goes some nice young man asked me to play this song my sister and i start like breaking out and since i'm the one recording it the microphone's like right in my lap yep. so <laughs> all you hear is me and her screaming and yelling while she's trying to tell a lovely story about the song that i can't really hear <laughs> That's so lovely. That's amazing, though. I love that little piece of history. Well, thank you. I'm glad I got to share that with you because I listened to it. I'm like, I need to phone this guy. Um, What's your other? What is? What's another signature song of yours that we can have you on for? Apollo's Rock. Okay. Talk about that one. Done. That's gonna be a little while down the road. Five years. Um, totally. Well, Matthew, well, thank you for being on our show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Matt is a musician in his own right. Oh, talk to oh, us about that. Thank you, Dora. That's so nice of you to mention. Um, yeah, I'm a recording artist here in Vancouver, and I perform with uh, my band, and I play piano just like Tori does. <laughs> with um, your legs yeah, spread wide open? Legs spread wide open. No, I like to stand up because, I'm, you know, otherwise I get too... So you play piano like Pip. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can check it out. It's uh, MatthewPresidente.com is the webpage, and you can find all sorts of music, and you can stream it on Spotify or Apple Music or find videos on YouTube. Um, and if you want to keep in touch with me on Facebook. Here's a little bit of music from our sister named Desire, Matthew Presidente. Thank you, Matthew. Oh, sweet. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. 
like another good job done. Oh, wait. Let's do the live section. Let's do the live section. Okay, here we go. Moment of silence. There we go. Uh, well, David. Yeah? Another job done. Another journey. Another journey had and won. And, you know, we said we were open at the beginning, and I think that actually turned out to be true. Yeah. We weren't kidding. And now we have kind of a new respect or at least understanding. Of our own of, openness. Of, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we never fail to shock ourselves. We're so we're endlessly yes. fascinated by our own our, capacity. Um, Saker and Dor, thank you for joining us. How do you feel? I feel like it was really enlightening. I enjoyed it. I feel like I got my sway back. Enlightening sway. Yeah. It well, would not surprise me if we had an interview from this era where someone asked Tori about the song, if she said something like, well, we were in New Orleans finishing the album and I really felt like Tennessee Williams visited me and I was able to walk in to the sides of Stella and Blanche that were me and that are you. And yeah, I read that somewhere. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I read that. Well, this has been great. We'll be back for the next one. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com. Oh, I just want to kiss her throat. <laughs> <laughs>